0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the ArenaCraft podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me on the line is the incredibly surly... <laughs> and and bullying other hosts <laughs> who, who who never gives me a rest on all of the little timmy cards that I love it is kova
1: go blue how are you doing today CGB I mean I am doing fabulous because I get to hang out with the rather impressively just linguistically talented and always creative in it. The timmiest possible way, Arjuna. (laughs) Way way to put a
0: spin on it and make me feel like the a-hole, man. But, (laughs) you know, if, if anyone can do it, it is you, my friend. I am stoked to be back to discuss what is the final card dump for the set of M21 today and there are a lot of cards here and um, they've they've kind of done their typical thing of they spoil a lot of the most important cards of the set and then they just give us like a bunch of the draft draft commons and uncommons and stuff so we're going to be skipping very very liberally through the remaining cards that have been spoiled but there are still some some doozies for us to talk liberally. about liberally Liberally, very. I bet we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> the, <laughs> the mandate has been set, and you know how good we are at sticking to our mandates. Yeah, I, I'm ready to dive in. Uh, unless you have anything to throw out that CGB,
1: just that by probably the time people are listening to this, there's going to be the early access event that we should probably let them know oh. about. Are you? Yes, Why, we haven't talked about you're invited to this, right? Oh, of course. Yep. I, I oh, will. Yeah, yeah, the last okay. one
0: was the first one I attended. And I'm definitely coming to this next one.
1: All right. So we're both in this thing that is us playing on the stock hashtag sponsored Wizards of the Coast accounts with M21 cards 24 hours early. And that's on Wednesday. Right? Yes.
0: And it starts at what? It's like 7am Pacific time or something like that.
1: It starts when we decided. It starts starts
0: when Covert Go Blue hits start stream. That's when it starts. So yeah, definitely show up. Check both of us out. I'm going to go ahead and say, if you want truly excellent brews for standard, then you should follow CGB's stream. And if you want to see some limited getting played early, then you should follow my stream. I think that that's probably where you're going to get the most quality bang for the buck but you know i i am going to be trying out a couple of constructed brews as well uh i'm just being honest with you guys that i'm not the most like forward thinking brewer but uh yeah that's i'm i'm super stoked about it i'm going to be able to devote a lot more time to it this time around so i'm gonna shoot for you know like an all-day stream
1: i think dude dude you gotta give yourself a little more credit. Like there's probably these mono colourless ramp decks that you just have cooking up oh. that are going to redefine what the world knows. That like come on, man. You're 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 actually pretty good. You're actually pretty good. My okay, check it out. Like m-
0: my mono green I I'm basically gonna be trying to play Tron and stand is all I'm gonna say so (laughs) yes yes, tron i'm sure the land has nothing to do with that (laughs) the land has nothing to do with it cgb but yeah i'm i'm totally gonna be mirroring it up i'm going to be uginning it up i'm going to be so cgb basically on on thursday you're going to be seeing a clip of me activating an ugin Keeping both my sad robot and my my it's Palladium mirror I guess alive, and then you will be sorry for ever having questioned my authority.
1: Sad robot.
0: <laughs> All right, so we're, we're both looking forward to that, and uh, it's going to be a good time. All right, so let's start talking about said cards that we're going to have on the battlefield. For the event, uh, what I'll kick it off here reading. A uh, fun character has returned, Rada Heart of Keld, one red green, legendary creature, elf warrior at rare, a three three. As long as it's your turn, Rada Heart of Keld has first strike. You may look at the top card of your library anytime, and you may play lands from the top of your library. And, as if that wasn't enough, uh, you can pay four generic and a red-green. And you can do this as many times as you care to. Rada gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of lands you control. So that's a lot of text for a, a kind of a fancy creature here, CGB. My my first thought in reading this card is that being able to play out Rada and spike a land off the top of your deck is not the worst thing. In the world, but I don't know that this card particularly has a home in standard. Is that something that's jumping out at you? Being able
1: to play Rada and spike the land off the top of your deck is a sign that you didn't have Questing Beast when you really wanted it. I mean, you are talking to the world's, you know, fifth preeminent green mage over here, so. (laughs) Yeah, uh, like. It's a valuability on a creature that wants to be aggressive. And it's kind of insane to me that they just wouldn't give it first strike. It only has first strike on your turn, which yeah. it, it skews it even further. Like, this is aggressive. We don't want you getting value in your defensive deck. I just don't get it. Um, it, it does seem like conflicting incentives, doesn't it? It does. And of course, six mana for an open-ended ability is really flavor text unless you have a Nissa on the field. And if you have a Nissa on the field, then it doesn't really matter what the rest of your cards are. You're probably destroying the battlefield anyway. And I just don't see it. Like Gruel Spellbreaker, obviously, this is not better than that. Gem Razor, I doubt it's better than that. The, I don't know why a Gruul deck would play this. And being legendary and being that it does have a neat little ability and it's a new card, I can definitely see throwing one into a deck. But I don't know why you would want it more than something else. Is is there any possibility that we have like a
0: like a semi aggressive uh, gruel experimental frenzy deck in a format? Because like if you are playing experimental frenzy in gruel, this is the kind of card you would want, right? I have tapped
1: four mana for my Experimental Frenzy, your turn. I will Teferi Bounce, your Experimental Frenzy, or I will Elspeth Conquers Death, your Experimental Frenzy, or I will Brazen Borrow, your Experimental Frenzy. It's the same problem with every other permanent that doesn't produce massive advantage the turn you resolve it. Experimental Frenzy had its time in standard, and that was back when it was difficult to remove and games were going to last three or four more turns. And during that time, Frenzy's value could absolutely dominate now decks get their engine and the game ends the next turn effectively uh, an uncontested engine for one turn is death experimental frenzy can't duplicate that it does seem cool i wish this card actually had come out in guilds of ravnica i agree for war of the spark because this would have been a really sweet card for that format yeah i agree it's so
0: it's it's an odd card conflicting incentives I don't know, might see play in some very random deck at some point. Why don't we move on to this next card? Uh, why don't you read this Sublime Epiphany for us, CGB?
1: Okay, you can go get a drink or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like to save the books for you. <clears> him, <throat> him, him. The audiobook version of Sublime Epiphany coming soon. So this is four blue blue for an instant, six mana for an instant rare. Choose one or more counter target spell counter target activated or triggered ability return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, create a token. That's a copy of target creature. You control target player draws a card. I uh, also shout out to the wedding cake in your brain art (laughs) going on. It really is something. Salvador Dali in inspired i suppose but um i don't know this more people have shared this card with me than i thought was actually possible Mm, okay like everybody want just wanted to send me this card and when i stream everybody wants to share this card with me and talk to me about this card and uh, yeah blue is in my name and this seems like one of the bluest cards in a minute because you have all these options and for those who don't know Cryptic Command, like one of the most popular blue cards of all time that came with four options, this is six mana, comes with five.
0: I was options. just going to say, this is like Cryptic uh, Command, right?
1: Crypticest
0: command. <laughs> <Now, laughs> the most cryptic command.
1: There will probably be a 10 mana, 10 option blue instant at some point that will be the Crypticest yep. command. But in the meantime, for standard, we have this thing, and it's six mana.
0: It's a meme, right?
1: Look, it's not like I'm not going to play it. I'll build a deck with four of these for fun, to give people a good time and really test it out. But in my heart, I think we land on a one of or a zero of because six mana is too much. Well, you know what gets me about this card, right, is even if
0: you did deign to put a card like this in your deck, it's not like how many modes are you realistically going to choose when you resolve this, right? Because, okay, like... Counter target spell, draw a card, that's easy enough, right? That's a thing that you could do. But like, if you want to make a token, then you have to have a creature in play, which decks that run Sublime Epiphany may well not. I guess return target and permanent to its owner's hand, that could be a relevant thing. I think it's unlikely that you're going to counter target spell and counter target activated the triggered ability at the same time. Um, unless your opponent has like a hydroid crisis on the stack so that's one of my beefs with this card i mean aside from the obvious just like six mana instant aspect of it i just wish that it felt like it was going to be a little more epic when you did actually resolve it you know
1: yeah it feels like you really have to walk your opponent into a situation where they're like activating a planeswalker and you have something to copy and you have something to bounce <laughs> and you have six open mana and the opponent's like you know i just don't respect you enough to <laughs> not play around something <laughs> i think this is one of
0: those cards where we're gonna wait for twitter to get flooded with screenshots of someone getting value out of all of the modes right
1: well some people brought it up to me at like casualties of war it's the blue casualties of war you don't always have to hit five things with casualties. When you do, it's a, an epic meme. The thing about casualties is it at least takes three or four things off the battlefield never to return. This might stop a thing from entering the battlefield and put one thing back in the hand where it will return from and may or may not create a copy of something. It's just a lot it's a lot less battlefield impact, for sure. It's it's a lot
0: going on. So I think that we're mostly going to just appreciate the art, which, as you pointed out, truly is quite sublime. And then probably just move on to our next card, which I think is actually, you know, definitely has a chance to be a role player in standard. Let's talk about Kitesail Freebooter. One and a black creature human pirate at Uncommon. This is a one-two with flying. When Kite Sail Freebooter enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non creature, non land card from it, exile that card until Kite Sail Freebooter leaves the battlefield. This card has been a role player in like every standard that it's appeared in so far. One of the things that stands out to me, especially about Kite Sail Freebooter, is just that I feel like spot removal has been at a historic low in standard. And it's it's not that people aren't running it, it's just that like people are really not prioritizing it in the way that they used to. And so I don't know. I wonder if this might be one of the better standards to play kite cell freebooter in, at least for the moment. What are you thinking about this?
1: Yeah, it definitely looks like a good spot in the meta right now for the freebooter where spot removal is falling behind, so people don't just run it, so they run sweepers or over the top cards instead and picking those out of the hand can definitely swing the game this freebooter makes me want to reevaluate a few cards one is demonic embrace the one black black enchantment aura that gives plus three plus one. Oh, fire. there you go because not only is this a body that you could throw demonic embrace onto but the fact that it pulls what little removal they might have frees up another creature for the embrace like your rotting regisaur or your But then that brings me to the next thing. You want to reevaluate all of the spectacle cards for one last go Mm. here in the last three months, the last ride for spectacle, Mm -hmm. because now cards like light up the stage and drill bit and spawn of mayhem look a lot better when you have a two drop that's going to hit pretty reliably. Yeah. So this card is good and it definitely matters. And I'm glad it's a human because it would annoy me to no end in the mutate decks if it worked. (laughs) <laughs> oh man bummer <laughs> missed opportunity
0: there no nah, no nah, perfect nah, um perfect i i design. will say for those of you who've never played with this card before um this card can just be an auto beating like like, let, let's say that you're playing some kind of deck that might run, oh, Teferi, for example, right? And your opponent goes turn one, Duress, turn two, kite sail Freebooter. It's like, what are the chances that on your third turn you're going to untap and be able to cast a spell that's relevant to that game? You'd have to have a pretty stacked hand at that point to be able to, like, handle the situation. And if, yeah, if your opponent just follows it up with either the final Death Nell uh hand disruption spell on turn 3 like a drill bit plus something else i mean that's a little bit like christmas landy right but they could just play rotting regisar on the next turn and like you are in a mess of trouble so don't count this out like this effect can be surprisingly good and it's it's a little innocuous like you look at Kite Sail Freebooter, and you think like oh well it's just like it's not that much going on it's not that different from your typical hand disruption spell but getting clocked every turn like you said it just it turns on spectacle it just increases the clock this might take a turn off of the game just getting hand-packed by this thing like four or five times and like you said it wears enchantments very well um i, I don't know i just yeah freebooter is gas i don't know should we read shacklegeist real
1: quick for the for the people for the one people. in a blue like if you say I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you I I am of the people. So when you say should we read such and such card, I'm always going to say yes because now there's somebody out there who's like that's my card. <laughs> that's my card that's my card. And it is so a rare, right? We should hit all the Raz at least. So so to the Shackle Geist fans, one in a blue creature, spirit, rare, two two flying, can only block creatures with flying, tap two untapped spirits you control tap target creature you don't control right i uh, it's
0: it's all about the spirits right
1: what spirits
0: well okay so it's interesting you say that now we're not we're not i don't know if we're going to talk about jumpstart on this show or not but i will say that for those of you who play Historic, they just actually spoiled a card, which I believe. I think all the Jumpstart cards are jumping straight into Historic. They uh, just spoiled Rattle Chains. I think it was. Um, Ooh,
1: okay, that's which, a card.
0: Which is like a very, very good spirit. I, I think it was Rattle Chains. If it wasn't, it was another one of those two mana important spirit enablers. If it's
1: selfless spirit, that would be selfless spirit a good would card. be gas.
0: Um, so there are some very, very relevant spirits and formats. Like I think spirits have seen play in modern. And I, I just can't
1: get hyped about historic spirits though until they print lingering souls.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it probably needs a few more prints, right? But that's what I see in this card. I think that this card is squarely aimed at historic because you're right. I mean, like, how many other spirits do we even have in
1: standard? Like, do we have any? I, I can't hey, even. We, I mean, think okay, of one. what do we- Kaikar makes spirits. Ethereal Absolution makes spirits. Afterlife creatures <laughs> afterlife creatures deep. make spirits.
0: Ugin is a spirit dragon, so
1: uh six mana Ugin makes spirits. <laughs> oh, are those spirits? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Six you know, for six mana and two activations of that, you might tap a creature <laughs> with this thing. Uh, you, you no, I mean this.
0: Enable your 2 2 flyer Yeah, that's great.
1: This this doesn't pass the Teferi test, it doesn't pass the Bone Crusher Giant test. It yeah. doesn't Pass the relevant and standard test yet there have to be much better spirits available, and maybe before this thing rotates, we'll have a return to Innistrad or something and
0: did they have to did they have to make it only able to block creatures with flying? Haven't we reached a point in magic now where like your two two rare flyer doesn't need a drawback?
1: No, absolutely not. I mean obviously, if this thing could block ground creatures,
0: it would just be.
1: We can't over. have Ugin getting like we can't have um Uro getting chump blocked. No. Okay. No, <laughs> no, Uro must hit.
0: Blocking's for suckers, man. We we pay money these days to block, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah. Well, okay, so Shackle guys, keep an eye out for spirits. Maybe in some future standard we'll have a playable spirit deck. Maybe in some future historic deck, we'll, uh, uh historic format we'll have a playable spirit deck. Ooh, ooh, okay. I I want to tackle this next one here, because you know that people are going to be having fun with this card. All right. (laughs) Nine lives. We made it, CGB. We made it. One white-white enchantment at rare. Hex-proof. Whenever an enchantment has hex-proof, you know some stupid shenanigans are about to follow. If a source would deal damage to you, prevent that damage and put an incarnation counter on nine lives. When there are nine or more incarnation counters on nine lives, exile it. When nine lives leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. So, wow. I mean, first of all, this has some strong text on it, right? The The first thing that yeah, I want to... Yeah, you lose the game is a real alpha it, move. It, it, it is. It's a humdinger, right? So, <laughs> um, and, and the first thing I want to know is I actually made the mistake of initially thinking that you could blink this card so let's, no no you no let's no. settle the wreckage right here you cannot in any way cause this card to leave the battlefield short of phasing it right i think phasing it would be okay but we can't currently do that on arena why why
1: not why why can't you why can't you return this to your hand with teferi and then replay it to reset it because i've only had that suggested to me about 50 times
0: yeah i'm pretty sure that does qualify as it leaving the battlefield which
1: what happens if it leaves the battlefield
0: i think you lose the game
1: you lose the game! So the, I, I can't, oh my god.
0: The only exception is if you play one of my favorite cards in this set, which is discontinuity. So that <laughs> we might have some kind of meme mimi deck going on there. So let, let's just talk about how this plays out. So, if it says if a source would deal damage to you, prevent that and put a counter on this. So, um, this card is not the kind of card you're going to want to play against any deck that's going while, uh, wide or that's intending to deal damage to you from multiple sources a turn because you'll just die. You'll probably die quicker from the nine lives than you would have from the damage. So, if you were even realistically trying to play this card, you'd probably want to play it against a deck that was looking to mobilize one threat against you i wonder like how problematic would this card be against like if you were playing team of reclamation and your opponent played nine lives against you like could that actually be a problem for you
1: it can be a problem if there's literally zero ways to interact with this card which is reasonable because what do we currently have right blast planar Blast Zone, Blast Zone would be a tilt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so um, with Blast Zone in the format, the answer is no, you can't. (laughs) That's a terrible idea. Please retire yourself. Turn in your DCI number. Oh, wait, that's not a thing anymore. Surrender your collection. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, you do have to be in a place where there is no answer and you have to somehow have inevitability in your deck So maybe Teferi's Tutelage Mill deck, like actually buying two or three turns to mill is what it takes. That is a meme. I'm not saying that will be a standard thing, but I mean, a nine lives Teferi's Tutelage deck doesn't sound insane to me because... What this thing does gain you against decks that aren't incredibly wide with a variety of damage sources, like like Cavalcade of Calamity, which would be hilarious. Um, But if you're against a typical, like, mid-range deck trying to beat you to death with a... Never mind. Does Questing Beast just hose this card? Prevent Uh, that damage. (laughs) It does.
0: So, yeah, don't... Don't play this against. It turns out the beast kills the cat in this case.
1: I <laughs> but was crushing to giant say. Also
0: plays around it.
1: Oh my god! Why? Why? Oh my god! As if I those can't. cards
0: weren't already good enough, right?
1: I was trying to put together a scenario where this could be good, and then <laughs> I had to read the card again and learn that preventing damage is currently not a thing you can rely on. Oh my god!
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure Saffron Olive is going to build a deck around this. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I literally wouldn't play this card unless it was in my sideboard and there was like a very particular deck in the meta that was looking to beat you down with one thing. I, I don't well, know. So probably unplayable.
1: I would say this is broken for a very specific format. Yeah. Uh you would know something about this. The format that says the first person to lose wins. Oh you there you w- invented go. invented with absurd heroin. Oh baby.
0: Yeah. That's a that's I'm a great. good that's a good point. I should follow up with her, by the way. She never ended up releasing that video. So but yes, the the format in which the first person to lose wins, this is a, a strong contender. I mean, you know, you curve <laughs> this into Teferi and Boom! That's a that's a turn three, turn four win right there. So, uh, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on nine lives in in that format. <laughs> Probably insta banned. All right, CGB. I know that you are a fan of shrines, and so I'm hoping what? that you might be able to just sum up very quickly for us this this cycle of legendary shrines that was spoiled in M21. There are shrines,
1: if you. Play a bunch of them, something happens. <laughs> if you are sitting there playing shrines, and your opponent's doing actual not much, a whole bunch of things happen. I, I don't know what you want from me. Shrines are shrines are shrines are like this interesting waterfalling effect, and there's actually a lot of cheap ones, but the effects are so minute that I don't know, man. So I. I can't really, they're uncommon. There's a bunch of uncommon ones. There's a a white one for one mana. There's a black one for two mana. There's a green and a red one. They're both three mana. Sanctum of Calm Waters is blue. It's four mana. So this is actually a cheap curve of these. And then on top of it is Sanctum of All, which is one mana of each color. So five total mana that says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may search your library and or graveyard for a shrine. Put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library in this way, shuffle it. If an ability of another shrine you control triggers while you control six or more shrines, it triggers an additional time. So it's a tutor combined with a yark And look, if the opponent literally can't interact with this, like this is a deck, but it's not the cycling deck. The cycling deck had various levels of op to attack with this just has i'm putting stuff on the battlefield i hope it works so that is not terrible but if anybody wants to beat you they will yeah so this is this is a this is a ninja move this is sneak up attack you from an angle that nobody expects and what's, if, what's
0: that is it barrier is it barrier breach that called that exiles up to three enchantments
1: that card is in the format that would be a heliod's heliod's intervention is in the format to Mm -hmm. just wipe it all out and i think that the biggest downside to shrines is all of these are legendary even the uncommon ones so if you draw two
0: oops yeah
1: yeah it's I, i don't know it's
0: like okay like we've seen five color control decks before so like you could for example run a deck that just had like one copy of of each of the shrines one copy of each of the hondens i don't know maybe double up on a couple ones that feel important and then just fill out the rest of the deck with various other like controlling cards and yeah i mean it would be fun i don't
1: i don't like that no 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 i think that the only way that these are good cards is if they're triggering off two or three times so they need each other like any any game where you draw a few controlling elements in a shrine is a game that you're just not going to win. Um, but I will say that there are pieces that work here. Um, Enigmatic Incarnation is one of them. If you draw multiple shrines, you can turn a shrine into a creature a of cool some idea. kind. Yeah. not sure what creature, but you know, there's got to be a few good ones that you want. The other like really big one is Calyx, right? Oh Clains yeah, Walker, Calyx. Calyx from yeah. Calyx is the, dope. The, the, the hated calyx of Theros, who was never any good, but here, plus get a shrine, minus exile a thing, put it under a shrine. That's that's pretty gas. Yeah, that's, that's really good, right? So yeah. there are some things, and this is going to attack from a different angle and impress some people, I think. Do you think anyone's going to try this with the Enchantress's presence? In historic? Yeah. I guess? In standard, I mean Satessan Champion is the ultimate fail the
0: the stand in for that (laughs) yeah yeah
1: so testing champion in in standard fails the teferi elspeth conquers death yeah and the narset test
0: yeah just gets dunked on one of the bigger disappointments of of that set i think but uh yeah you know here's the thing like like okay, like, is this going to be a tier one deck in standard? Probably not. But this is one of those kind of decks where you laugh it off and then you end up losing to it. And you're like, hmm,
1: that was actually surprisingly powerful. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's not quite the new cycling. I think cycling's a lot better, but I think it's the new gates.
0: Hmm. Yep that's a good that's actually a really good comparison so keep an eye out for it because here's the thing okay there are a lot of decks that have access to enchantment removal but there are certain decks that do not and you might just find yourself in a matchup where you're staring down a bunch of enchantments and you're like i can just literally never win this game so uh, i i like it it's flavorful i'm definitely going to be looking out for it and maybe trying to build around it Let's talk about, this card's gotten a, a more attention than I thought it was going to get, and a lot of very, very, very good players are saying that this card is very good. So, we should pay attention to it. Barin Tolarian Archmage, one blue-blue, legendary creature human wizard at rare, it's a 2-2. When Barin Tolarian Archmage enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature or planeswalker, That's interesting text. Or Planeswalker to its owner's hand. At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. So this is clearly a creature that expects certain things to be going on. Um, You clearly have to probably build your deck with Baren in mind. I don't think you can just jam Baron into any random blue deck. But I don't know, why why do you think people are so impressed with this card, CGB?
1: Well the first thing I have to do is challenge exactly what you said. Why All can't right. this go in any blue deck? Yeah,
0: I mean, okay. So let's let's take a look at it. Um what's the what's the card that this reminds us of? It's like the two two that bounces a creature. What's that guy called? You might say exclusion mage. Yeah, it's an exclusion mage or yeah. Man of war. Like- mana war is the one i'm thinking of right so this is boomer card yeah yeah it's kind of like a mana war i mean that's always been a reasonable tempo play i guess not good enough for standard these days certainly we expect a little more from those cards these days like reflector mage for example was uh, a card that was very playable in standard actually got banned in standard which is interesting so you know the effect is powerful but of course reflector mage denying the recast for a turn was the reason that card was so good But I I don't know. It's like, my average blue deck, no, I don't think it wants Baron.
1: Like, what what deck are you picturing that doesn't want a body that bounces a creature or Planeswalker of your own or of the opponent's?
0: I just think that it's a bit slow for our current standard. I think there are a lot of decks that don't care about this very much, like Cat Oven decks don't really care about this. Uh, There's a lot of aggro decks that are just going to go wide enough, or that Creatures are cheap enough, they're not going to care about it. So, and I'm talking, you know, strictly as like doing this to your opponent's stuff, right? So, using this as a tempo play to slow your opponent down. These cards are ideal against kind of mid-rangey creature decks, decks that are looking to resolve a lot of like three and four plus mana creatures. And these days, the only creatures that are seeing play that are like that are like cards that you know don't really care about this like questing beast for example so i i don't think that this clears the bar if bouncing your opponent's stuff is what you had in mind you know i mean that you could have a certain deck with a certain game plan that wants that effect but to me it seems like you're not really going to go out of your way to run this unless you're able to uh, unless you're able to take advantage of being able to bounce your own
1: stuff to your hand
0: that's my read on it
1: so a lot of what you're saying is is correct but i think that we're missing why the big reason why is the teferi test like a lot of the format is shaped by teferi you you agree with that right yeah yeah so in a world where there is already teferi on three mana threatening to bounce and gain value the whole format is going to play cards that are kind of avoiding that interaction like that still have a profitable interaction there so if if we take away the whole thing about just making an entire part of the game unplayable as in interaction counter spells things of that nature if we take that out of teferi what's better this card or teferi i'm
0: not sure in a sense so so if teferi didn't have the static yeah. forget the static forget the static just talk about battlefield presence which which card is better this or teferi i don't know man because you get to you get to draw a card off of teferi whereas you don't
1: get to draw a card off of this unless you bounce your own thing right right but in a tempo format what's better a card in your hand or a two-two on the battlefield something actually on the field right now that can attack block do stuff i i kind of read your point i think
0: the question for me though is would you rather be left over with a planeswalker or with a tutu, right?
1: The thing is that the planeswalker just dies a lot. Like like bounce a fervent champion. Fervent champion just kills it. So sure. like, Teferi dies a lot and it in does. that case it like gained one life, but the format is still like revolving around it. That's why Robber of the Rich, Dreadhorde Butcher, um, all these cards like Mayhem Devil just picks it off. Like like all all these things pass the Teferi test or they don't get played. This is a different... This is this card has a similar impact to that side of the Teferi test, but it leaves something behind, whereas Teferi just dies. I'm not saying it's better than Teferi. What I'm actually saying is all of you waiting for Teferi to rotate so you can play creatures that cost three or more mana that don't pass the Teferi test, I've got bad news for you. There's a new test. <laughs> <laughs> because Baron yeah. actually does come down, bounce a thing, and leave a body behind and yeah that's just manowar but manowar was a card back when standard was pretty messed up you know manowar was played with force of will (laughs) you know what i mean yeah brainstorm these were standard legal cards once upon a time yeah winter orb is a pretty fun one to play with a, a, a manowar effect that like so i mean like this card is good and I do want to point out, it says, at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. Baron doesn't have to do it. Correct. Like Brazen Borrower, thank you very much. I get to draw a card as long as you finish the turn with this. Although, isn't that your
0: opponent's stuff, right? I think Brazen Borrower can only target your opponent's stuff.
1: No, that's what I mean. Your opponent targets something of yours with a Brazen Borrower. Oh, I see. So, so it you shuts, get to
0: draw a card. It shuts yeah. down that Brazen Borrower.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you get a card. That's not shutting anything down. Yeah, it it severely taxes it, right? Also, bouncing a Planeswalker is not a joke. So that's that's part of the problem. That's
0: what I'm wondering. Like, how much are you going to hate resolving a Nyssa and then having your opponent return it to your hand on their turn? Like, that could be a a pretty sizable tempo
1: loss, right? Yeah, you you don't... The the great thing about cards like Nyssa narset things like that you don't lose card advantage when your opponent bounces them but that just means you fight on the axis of mana like who gets to use their mana better each turn so even though it doesn't sound good to an old school magic player to bounce a narset or to bounce a Nissa, you're gonna do it and you're gonna be happy to do it well i think that there
0: are these play patterns, right, where a good opponent, for example, can maneuver you into a spot where you had to tap out, you know, maybe on your turn, and then they slam Anissa on their turn, and you're like, oh crap, my control deck has a really hard time dealing with that. And so I think that there are situations in which on the following turn, you slam your bar and you return it to their hand, and you're able to leave up counter magic. So you've, you've kind of regained the tempo swing in a in a play like that. So um, also being able to return Barin to your hand with your own Teferi and then use it again, like, I don't know. There's the, you could. There are definitely a lot of scenarios where you can chain different cards together to make Barin a real source of card advantage. And I don't know if you were alluding to this earlier, there are definitely decks that can't really beat a resolved Teferi. And the, the decks I'm thinking of are specifically like Azorius control decks. Which, you know, it's like if they don't have an ECD, they basically, or maybe they were, you know, lucky enough to like have a creature or a token laying around to take care of it, but they can really struggle. And so I think something like bouncing your tefe- your opponent's Teferi in the mid game and then leaving up your own counter
1: magic I don't know, that could be a pretty strong play, I think. Yeah, that, that that's definitely an option that's important. Another card that's in the format that makes this card look really good is Yorian, and that's mm. not without talking about Thassa either. Um, good I call. Mean, this yep. this card is ready to torture people. And that's <laughs> why people that's why like that's why the good players that you talk about are excited about it. It's yeah. just there's not really there's not a significant downside. It, it's only if you play this on a completely empty board and you played a three-mana 2-2 two, two for some reason. Like, like if there is a Planeswalker or creature involved on either side of the battlefield with an ability of some kind, this card can be very relevant. I mean, just play it in Simic, bounce your own Grazer, and draw a card. Mm. Like, that's not terrible. That's no. perfectly acceptable. No, it's
0: also like like, let's say your opponent has a reasonable board... And you do something like beginning of your turn, activate your own Teferi, bounce one of their things, and then you play Baron and bounce your own Teferi, right? That's just a thing that you could do. You get to draw two cards that turn. You get to have a Teferi in your hand for the next turn. Something like that could, you know, that, that kind of interaction could snowball into a lot of tempo for you over the course of the game. So I think Baron bouncing Teferi and Teferi bouncing Baron is, kind of a loop which though a little mana efficient could just generate an incredible amount of advantage over the course of a control game so that's that's the kind of stuff i'm looking out for here i think a final thing i want to note about this is just that we've all gotten used to to fairy being able to target basically anything except planeswalkers but Baron is only creature in Planeswalker, so like don't go around thinking you can do a gotcha on someone's wilderness reclamation or something with this because you'll be unpleasantly surprised. Why don't we move on? Uh there's another spirit here, actually, which seems worth at least talking about. Do you want to read
1: Ghostly Pilfer for us? Ghostly Pilferer is one in a blue for a spirit rogue rare 2/1 creature whenever ghostly pilfer becomes untapped you may pay 2 if you do draw a card whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand draw a card discard a card ghostly pilfer can't be blocked this turn this is a this is not a flyer i always feel like i have to say that when we have a spirit that doesn't fly because it feels weird <laughs> yeah agreed what do you think of this card this is the kind of
0: card which and i don't want to use this refrain too much but this is the kind of card which in the current standard wouldn't do very well like um any standard that mayhem devil is a big deal in you don't want to run cards like ghostly pilferer however there's a surprising amount of card advantage potential stapled to this thing and i actually think that this card could be kind of an annoying card in a control mirror like this card could fill some of the role that a card like uh the other ghost spectral sailor filled in in control mirrors in Theros standard where like your opponent boards out removal and you bring in a card like this which over the course of a reasonably long game could draw you quite a number of cards so i think the card advantage potential on ghostly Pilferer is quite real i don't think that you're playing this to kill your opponent although a two on unblockable can be relevant in certain situations but the ability like if your opponent is doesn't have creatures on board and if your opponent doesn't have a good way of dealing with your creature then uh i don't know i i think ghostly Pilferer could have a place but having said that i read this as being a card that's the current meta is a little bit hostile too. So that's kind of my initial take. I can't
1: imagine ever wanting to play this card at all right now. Um, the, The biggest killer for me is where it says if you do draw a card, like you have to pay the two mana when it becomes untapped. So at the beginning of your turn, two mana is a big investment at the beginning of your turn, taking away all your other options before you've even hit your draw step. I just i don't see it i think that the text that has to be good for this card like look you don't want to discard cards to make this unblockable i don't think it's a very aggressive card i don't think that you want to pay the two mana when you untap it very often almost never so i don't think that's important i I don't know that i exactly agree with that Um, you don't have to but let me finish the point there's no way I play this card unless I actually think I'm going to get two or three cards off the whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand, draw a card clause. So if we're looking at like, like Uro is probably not a great example. Like where, where are we looking? The, the chandra plus one we're looking at light up the stage like some of these type of effects perhaps it does seem they are emphasizing that
0: kind of effects in this set so yeah i i think it could be relevant
1: loris right well yeah yeah loris the card itself it, it's weird that they nerfed companion and then this comes out
0: yeah yeah i mean i think maybe ghostly pilfer isn't doesn't line up well against a Laris deck anyway. But if your opponent's doing a lot of reanimating, then Ghostly Pilferer could be actually pretty good. I I agree with you. I definitely think it's an edge case. I definitely think it's a role player. But this is like one of those cards that you might see come out of the sideboard in a targeted matchup and do some work. Or I mean, it, it could easily see no play. Like I'm not I'm not yeah, trying to I'm... champion this card by any means. Okay.
1: Okay cuz I I mean I would I would I would probably put a bet on this scene zero play in a pro tour level. Event. Yeah, I'm I'm not attached to this card by any
0: means. Um I just think it has enough text on it and I and I do think a card like this would have been good at certain points in past standards. So and it is a spirit. So just keep an eye on that. If there are enough again, like we said, if there are enough playable spirits. It's also a rogue, right? So looks like they're pushing rogues a little bit for what it's worth okay let's keep moving along
1: is daybreak charger good i I want your opinion it's it's right there on the bottom oh this one uh, unicorn yeah i I want your opinion on this one really quick okay like
0: like in an aggressive deck all right let's read the card
1: yeah Uh, one white unicorn three one creature and when daybreak charger enters the battlefield target creature gets plus two plus oh until end of turn I read this and at least on a temporary basis it's like if it's like 5 power for 2 mana. Mm. What do you what do you see?
0: That's interesting. I mean, we've had effects similar to this, right? Like Drillmaster Sergeant. My initial read is it's not quite good enough. Our white decks as of late haven't been as interested in dealing burst damage as they are interested in getting incremental advantage which leads to like an insurmountable amount of damage in the mid to late game which is why they suck yes so <laughs> i like if this card were red i think i'd be more interested in it right like i think that your mono red deck might definitely be interested in getting a three powered creature for two mana that also threatens to do an additional two damage like in a lot of red decks this card would read one on a red 3-1 when this creature enters the battlefield it deals 2 damage to target opponent right which would be better than the the shaman that we saw play in the previous standard so yeah I think it's in the wrong color that's kind of my opinion
1: Okay, I, I'm, I'm just
0: curious I, I think it might see some play but I'm not positive I mean you're right that 3-1 like 2 drops that have the 3-1 stat line that have additional upside could be playable in standard but here's the thing like you're much more in for the the uh, discarded card indestructible guy, right?
1: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. But the two drops are so bad. I'm actually interested in some other, in another three one with an ability for two. You know? Well, I like I like the fact
0: that you're looking at lowly draft commons for standard CGB. It it, it humanizes you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there's always another Mog fanatic somewhere. There's always another Mog fanatic. Okay, speaking of white-go-wide decks, let's talk about a card that, I don't know, is worth considering. Glorious Anthem. One white-white enchantment at rare. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. This card was originally printed as the card Crusade, which had the same effect, and uh, for various obvious reasons, it has been rebranded. I I guess this card being present in the format just all depends on whether a white-go-wide deck is a thing. But we definitely saw Benalish Marshall doing a lot of work in previous standard formats. And Glorious Anthem is a bit harder to interact with. So uh, are you feeling this card?
1: I mean Benalish Marshall is a much better card because it attacks and blocks even if you don't control anything else. Like it's it's easier to kill, yes, but in a deck full of things that have to be killed, it's never easy to pick a target. Like a good Benelish Marshall is a much better card but we don't have Benelish Marshall, so...
0: Okay, here's a thought, though. Benelish Marshall basically required you to play Mono White, whereas I think Glorious Anthem doesn't necessarily, so do you think... It does in current meta. It, with the mana we have in Standard, it does. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. Like, you're not necessarily wanting to curve into Glorious Anthem, right? Like... How many
1: White White 1 cards are being played in two or three color decks
0: well i think that that's more a reflection of the fact that like white aggro decks just aren't really a thing definitely you're not going to try to fit this into your madu knights deck but i think if there's like a green white tokens archetype or like a some kind of boros tokens archetype i would definitely consider glorious anthem as an option i i think that the two pips versus the three pips is a huge difference in castability i'm not disagreeing with you that it's a consideration like our our current mana in standard doesn't make me love trying to play this card uh it's definitely more of a contender in historic for that reason but no i mean i I don't think a double pip card in an aggro deck is necessarily has to be a death knell
1: all right then we'll compare it to other options what's the better card this or unbreakable formation
0: Uh, that's situational i think that's situational this buffs like this buffs anything that comes down, right? So so this makes your Castle Ardenvale a heck of a lot better. Like in a mono white deck, for example, running Castle Ardenvale, this card I think is is better than Unbreakable Formation. I think it all depends on your game plan. Like if if your deck is intending to be resilient to sweepers anyway, then I think Glorious Anthem's probably much better. If your deck is,
1: is... I uh, nope. I, I just can't anymore dude i I disagree so strongly <laughs> so insanely strongly what good is a glorious anthem when you don't have creatures like like you're you're saying i oh, but if my creatures die i have g i still have a glorious anthem in a castle, and it's like where which is what format are you playing where making spending five mana for a two two is a is a valid rebuilding strategy it's not it's just not right now i i mean like. For example, if Basri's lieutenant
0: sees play, then I think Glorious Anthem is pretty good, right? Like, let's say that you get- No, your...
1: you didn't play a good creature to put the counter on, and when those creatures- When it dies, like, you want the two-twos. Like, you'd much rather have Unbreakable Formation. You want the plus one, plus one counters.
0: No, I, I think there are, like, plenty of spots where Unbreakable Formation ends up being, like, not- Like, like okay, there, there are just, like, so many examples of an opening hand where you have, like- maybe three creatures, three lands, and your Unbreakable Formation, right? And being able to curve into Glorious Anthem is just like a lot more powerful in that hand than being able to to curve into Unbreakable Formation. So there are plenty of situations where you might need something impactful to cast on turn three, and your Unbreakable Formation ain't it, you know what I mean? So I, I think that Unbreakable Formation is a powerful card, I'm not, I definitely don't dispute that. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's possible that it's better in a number of play patterns. But I think that the ability, like, consider Gideon, right? The uh, Gideon ally of Zendikar. There were plenty of situations in which people would drop Gideon and just immediately ultimate it to get the Anthem effect, right? Now, of course, Gideon is a Planeswalker, is a much more versatile card. But, like, there were plenty of situations in which that Gideon anthem locked up the game because even if your opponent dealt with the creatures that were on the board it was just like every creature that you played after that was going to be a a much more relevant threat so you couldn't
1: bounce a gideon anthem you couldn't exile a gideon anthem that's a good point like like the glorious anthem is a card that stands on its own and you're right uh gideon anthem was cool when they did it but it was always the it was also the least used mode it was always the least used mode So it was always two two five five swing was the preferred method. If you if you tacked Glorious Anthem option onto any planeswalker, I'd be happy it was there too, and sometimes I'd use it. But it's not, it's a card that is one dimensional. It does this one thing and it doesn't create a body of its own. And it's a permanent that sits on the battlefield that may or may not be benefiting you very much. Like Now you build around it. Obviously you play a bunch of creatures that makes sense. And it's good when you have a bunch of creatures that makes sense. Is it better than other options? I mean, we didn't talk about Basri cat. Like, is it it better than that? Yeah. That occupies the same spot. Competes in the same spot. And can double your army. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For sure. For sure. And you know, maybe, maybe this kind of effects just isn't good
1: enough for current options but eh. i think that's reasonable because i still believe like i strongly believe that in most situations unbreakable formations the better card in most situations that come up and nobody's playing that card like to good effect right now either
0: uh can i interest you in chris kavartek playing that card in his mono white list that he's playing this weekend that's I not guess a- i
1: didn't see this one yet <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I,
0: I got a new kavartek bit of homework to do. yeah 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 uh, we'll see how he ends up doing though um, but he he is currently rocking the unbreakable formation but i think that that's that's an interesting litmus test so let's keep an eye out moving forward into the standard and see whether either of these cards see play because i mean i think it's totally possible that Baz Riket just ends up being better than both of them. And, and that's where the format shakes out. It's also totally possible that people just don't play white. You know, like white aggressive decks. That's totally possible. So,
1: I wanted always watching. Do you remember that? It oh, what did plus that one, do plus again? one Vigilance. It was same cost. Same exact cost. Enchantment. It's plus one, plus one to non-token creatures and Vigilance. And Vigilance. But it was non-tokens yeah okay i like that card i
0: mean that card was a house and limited for sure i
1: mean it gave you a ton of like options of using creatures that have tap abilities with it like law like law rune enforcer but now i'm just tangenting
0: well but it would be a heck of a combo with the elephant i think the uh, loxodon heck yeah yeah get him with your creatures and then tap the ones that survived and cast the loxodon that would be pretty sweet all right. Well, I think we've discussed that one enough. Let's keep moving along here. Uh,
1: boy, it's fine. We'll cut this part. Yeah, we right. Find a card. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> nah, I none of
0: this. None of this none, is interesting. None of this. None of that. Uh, daily or not No, this card's not going to see play. Let's let's talk about this one briefly. I don't think I'm super into oh it, but God. this is an interesting card. Okay,
1: the one next to it might, be, might get H- played. Hobble Fiend, if you, you want, think? No, no, no. Crash oh, Through. Crash Through, through will get played. They go but in the same I mean, deck. Okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, do it. All you right. don't have at it knock me out with your goblin wizardry
0: i I just think it's i'm not saying it's good i just think it's interesting goblin wizardry three in a red instant create two one one red goblin wizard creature tokens with prowess i i'm just interested because there aren't that many cards in the game that create tokens with prowess the other one i'm thinking of is monastery mentor which is approximately a billion times better than this card but uh, this is an interesting effect Playable with the card next to it you were talking about, which is Crash Through.
1: <laughs> uh, no, Crash Through being actually playable. If you're going to try to sell me on the 3-3, the 2-mana the, the three, three, the blue 3-3 three, three with prowess, like you need to be thinking about Crash Through if you're going to sell me on that card.
0: Yeah, let's read Crash Through. Um, one red mana sorcery. Creatures you control gain trample until end of turn. Draw a card. Uh, do you think that this card is going to see more play in standard
1: i think it has potential we still have arc light phoenix like i said if you actually want the blue card whose name is escaping me the the cast for cheap one the cast for cheap one stormwing entity yeah if if you want stormwing entity to be cast for two mana you needed another card like this in the set and we have it it's in red so you're talking Is it which I think you want to talk anyway. Mm-hmm. Crash Through triggers cards like Runaway, Steamkin, and Sprite Dragon. Crash Through gives Trample to your Colossificationed Creature if you untap it. Uh, I mean, okay, there's just stuff. It's got stuff. Yeah, you
0: raise an interesting point. Do you think that the combination of cards like Stormwing Entity and Sprite Dragon... And even possibly Arclight Phoenix. Like, do you think that all of these things combined might make up for like an aggressive, is it Flyers deck in the format?
1: If it does, it like cards like this are 100% necessary because the problem that that deck has is you can't be spending two mana on a card like Discovery, Dispersal, or Radical Idea in this format. It's yeah. not enough payoff for two mana to draw a card and make a little bit of progress. But for one mana, which is a big deal, half the cost of a two mana card, you can still do other things. Like Then yeah, we're, we're talking about potential to do stuff. Triggering prowess and drawing a card for one mana has been known to be useful. So this is the great hope for Sprite Dragon, Stormwing Entity, Arclight Phoenix, to do something before this format rotates. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. And I think even after
0: after the Phoenix leaves the format, if we get more support for this kind of deck, it could be a role player cuz I mean Sprite Dragon is a heck of a card, man.
1: Oh yeah, I just also want to say uro is still here and giving uro like trample and food is might just be what some decks just want to do is more uro.
0: That's interesting, like a Tima, Tima deck running Uro.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, there's a few of those around, like Tima Reclamation, for example.
0: Yeah, Tima Reclamation really wants that crash through, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right thing. I'm just saying it's an option that normally Uro versus the Cat Oven is still grinding. Uro with Trample versus the Cat Oven. Crash through, keep an eye on it.
0: So this next card is a card that we alluded to earlier on this podcast, and I think that we may have actually skipped it by accident in our previous uh, review. And I do think that this card is definitely worth talking about. So why
1: don't you read Demonic Embrace for us, CGB? This is an aura, enchantment aura, one black, black, rare, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three, plus one, has flying, and is a demon demon in addition to its other types. You may cast Demonic Embrace from your graveyard by paying three life and discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs. What's up with this? Plus three
0: power and flying that you can continue to get back from the graveyard. It reminds me of a little card they called Rancor. Granted, Rancor is incredibly powerful and a not necessarily an apt comparison with this card but i mean you know this this might be like our standard power level rancor don't discount the power of an aura that buffs creatures power dramatically and that you can keep buying back from the graveyard because basically any creature in play becomes a threat with this and the fact that it gets flying is is pretty
1: massive i think i think the flying is the best part yeah. The the idea of casting it from the graveyard is pretty daunting. Three life, you have to pay the cost and you have to discard a card. That is you 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 better kill him. You know? <laughs> like like they better be dead uh when you do that. But it combines really well with rotting regisaur because you can discard it to the regisaur and then take your draw step and discard the land you top deck to get this onto the regisaur and swing for freaking 10 in the air. Uh, that's not a joke. So I can see this card being useful. I, it needs good two drops, really, because that's the weird thing about it. And Kite Scale Freebooter is one of the reasons I'm excited, because an aura is so much more potent if the op- if you know the opponent can't kill it. So I, I think that's a big reason. I mean, just two drop Freebooter bro- gives you not just the card that you hide underneath it, but the information. Is it going to be better next turn? to suit something up with Demonic Embrace, or should I develop my Battlefield and play a Spawn of Mayhem or a Rotting Regisaur? Like, you just figure out how to pace your your threats. Also, I'm going to go... Are you ready for Janktown with this, baby? Lay it on are you ready me. Ready for this? Dude. Dude. You can enchant your opponent's Hydroid Crisis with this so it can't block your Baneslayer Angel.
0: Oh, snap. We broke it. <laughs>
1: Because it turns it into a demon. Into a
0: demon. A demon. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Got him. Got him. Got him. There are definitely aggressive decks that are going to be interested in this card. I even think just slapping this on your Order of the Ebon Legion could be a totally fine play. Uh, Order gives... of the Ebon Legion?
1: That's a uh, really old Fallen Empires is card. Is
0: it Knight, Knight of the Ebon Legion? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, Knight of the Ebon Legion. Okay. Order
1: of the Ebon Legion the really old Oh, black black. that was
0: the... It's like cost two. It costs like black, black or something.
1: Yeah, yeah protection yeah. from
0: white. I man, I've I've just played too much fall and empire. Is what
1: it comes. Knight down of to. <laughs>
0: yeah, Knight
1: of the Ebon Legion. That's the card. I mean, that thing is awesome, right? That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Beca- so so here's a few nice things about that is that if you curve Knight of the Ebon Legion into this, this can hit for that four for life loss uh, which puts a counter on the knight and then the next turn you're threatening to have like a seven powered flying attacker so that could easily be game over of course people talk about throwing this on rotting regisaur like you said that's a 10 power flyer which is you know you don't take that many hits from a 10 power flyer before you die one of the things that's nice about this card is that even if your opponent manages to kill all of your threats It's like in the mid to late game, all you need to do is top deck like a cheap aggressive creature and you can just demonic embrace it up. And it's just, it's always a threat, right? So it makes it makes your opponent have to deal with every single creature that you put on the battlefield. And, you know, in an aggressive deck that wants to be pushing the game and dominating the game, the three life doesn't matter as much. Now, it does get more interesting if you're in like an aggro mirror. Okay, here's an interesting question, CGB. If you were if you were playing a mono black aggro deck that was built, I wouldn't say like entirely around this card, but in which this was a strong part of the game plan, and you were facing like a mono red aggro build, would you side this out, or would
1: you just take your chances and leave it in? I mean, there's there, there's too many options here. Like, what I need to know more about my opponent's deck. Sure. I need to know more about my deck. I mean, do I have a lifelink creature? Because if I have a lifelink creature, I am sticking with Demonic Embrace, thank yeah. you. Uh, do I have Shadow Spear in my deck? Then I probably want one or two Demonic Embrace, right? That's an interesting combo. Like, I mean, it's just, there's, here's the thing. You don't have to cast it from the darn graveyard. No, but You do have to kill your opponent. Like, that. that is the the point of the game. So as far as does Demonic Embrace help you win, I think the real question isn't, whether or not you bring this in against like an aggro mirror it's i think the only place this is bad is against oh i don't know brazen borrower <laughs> cards of that nature right uh yeah you, you just don't want to spend three mana and not hit the opponent that's that's the risk
0: it's, it's a pretty substantial tempo loss and to be honest even just against a fairy it might be a pretty bad tempo loss I mean, yeah, don't play like an idiot. You should be fine. Yeah, I mean, and you definitely get your damage in with it, right? So maybe hitting your opponent for six or seven and then getting it bounced back to your hand along with the creature it was attached to is an okay transaction for you because you got enough damage in, but that's just something to think about.
1: But let me also. Can I also just throw in there though that like the black two drops mostly suck because they are mopey after you play them. There yeah. are some pretty good ones that get you value, like Burglar Rat, Yark's Fenlurker. The problem is the one one body doesn't matter. Well, it's now now it's a four two flyer. That's that's a big difference. You know what I mean? It's an interesting
0: take on the notion. I don't know if your like resource denial and aggro plans go in the same deck, but. I think you're definitely right that it it makes the card more relevant. If you're playing against a control deck, for example, that might be the kind of of card slash tempo advantage that you're looking
1: for. Dude, this thing with uh, timoret is a five four, right? Yeah, just those just, two cards, just
0: on its own, just a five four screaming skull. That's what I'm in for. That's kind of compelling. So yeah, this definitely makes mono black aggro lists look interesting. And yeah, I, I think this this card has a lot of potential. I think I think that's it. I okay. think we have reached the end of all of the cards. Impossible. Uh,
1: inconceivable. How could they possibly make a, a limited amount of cards for us to talk about? I just figured it was permanently endless. Well, it
0: could be if we wanted to talk about Jumpstart. I mean, <laughs> I think I think we're in permanent spoiler season from now on oh my goodness yeah that's this is this is the life of a magic player so thank you for sticking with us for what was a fairly comprehensive overview of you know a lot of the players in the set slash a lot of cards that Arjuna liked um, <laughs> lovely
1: I this that's that's title right there
0: <laughs> yeah yep yeah, exactly so yeah, I don't know i'm I'm excited to play this set. I'm excited to start jamming for the pre-release event, and I stand by my my saying that this is my favorite core set so far. I think it's going to shake up standard, and I think it's going to be a very fun limited set too. So that's about all you can ask for, right?
1: Oh yeah, I agree. Doing this, um, talking through new cards with you is a good time. We should we should like make a podcast. This is good. This is freaking sweet. We should we yeah we should like hang out, you know? Yeah. (laughs) People might want to listen
0: to this. People might be into it. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this show, then please keep showing up and subscribe in your app of choice. You can subscribe on YouTube as well. Arena Craft Podcast—pretty easy to find. Please note: this came up recently that uh, someone had trouble finding the podcast in their app, and it's because they searched Arena Craft one word. It is two words. Two so, words. Arena Space Craft space podcast that should bring it up for you unlike covert go blue which is all one word which is how you should search if you want to find him and his content he is active on youtube he is active on twitch those are two of the best places to look for his content he streams monday through thursday 4 to 6 p.m eastern he's going to be playing in the wednesday event i'll be playing in the wednesday event so stop by and check us out and thank you so much. And we will look forward to talking about the new standard format next week. CGB, I am pumped
1: for that. Me too, man. Always one of my favorite shows after we play these cards, getting to rub your nose and in how insanely wrong you may have been. <laughs> you know, I
0: have to say, it's it's kind of a podcast tradition, CGB, of like every every new set since I started this podcast. You and I have had like a week one meta discussion so we're going to be continuing to find you're
1: right right. that is true yeah Yeah. it is it is so much fun yeah come back it's going to be great awesome all right i will catch you then my bro later